0: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. You're listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial. The podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs. By which I mean wise sayings a man may live by if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 77. Losing Sleep. Today's proverb comes from George Herbert. I'll read it twice. The best revenge is a life well lived. Once more. The best revenge is a life well lived. The simple sense of the proverb is if you want to get back at someone who has slided you or mistreated you, There's no better way than by being happy and contented and entirely indifferent to their hatred. There are many forms of revenge, though, and we should not mishear this proverb. The best revenge is a life well lived. Which is to say it's not the only revenge. There are many kinds of revenge. There's murder, for starters. The classic form of revenge. But there's also slander and false accusations. Robbery. There's also the sort of fantasy wherein you expose someone's weakness or stupidity to the masses... And the masses shame them. That might be the most commonly sought out revenge. Murder, the ultimate revenge. The most extreme, I mean. But the most common is that your enemies would be shamed. That they'd be humiliated. And that's the sort of revenge I think that Herbert's onto to here. He wants to talk about Common avenues of revenge. When you're slighted by someone at work or when you're slighted by a family member a competitor it's rare that you want that person dead. You're not insane. (laughs) So murder might be the ultimate form of revenge but it's not a common form of revenge. I mean for all the stories about Um, vindictive slayings, murder is still not all that common. Really what we want, more often than not, is for our enemies to be embarrassed. We want them to be ashamed. We want them to hate the sun and to curl up and wish that they have lived differently. That's the most, I think that's the most common form of revenge. That's the most common revenge fantasy. When you fantasize about what sort of revenge you want, you want to see your enemies embarrassed and ashamed. You want your enemies, the people who've slighted you, to be as angry and as vexed with you as you are with them. When you're angry at someone, and it's the kind of anger that keeps you up at night. You rarely imagine the other person's life from a psychologically realistic standpoint. When you're lying awake in bed, sleepless, Pondering how you've been mistreated. You don't think of the person who mistreated you also tossing and turning in their own bed, unable to get over their hatred of you. Hatred, the sort of hatred that prompts a desire for revenge, tends to be very self-oriented, self-contained. Hatred will make you blind, it'll make you hermetically seal yourself off from the world. And as I've mentioned on the show before, people who hate others often don't know how obvious it is that they hate others. And they often say, well, I, it's more of a strong dislike. If anyone ever claims that they don't hate someone, it's just a strong dislike. And the person is alive Then it's really hatred Because the person is so blind They can't even recognize their own hatred Hatred often Closes us off From seeing the world properly From seeing it with any sort of objectivity And so you think only of your own mistreatment. You don't think of the other person. When you think of the person who has slighted you, you think of that person not just sleeping happily across town, but when someone slights you, you tend to make their life into a sort of wonderful thing. You imagine their life is transpiring with ease you imagine them undisturbed by thoughts of their own enemies in order to hate someone you've really got to imagine their life as better than it is and you sort of intuitively do this you may not construct a fantasy where you imagine your enemy you know enjoying a steak dinner and laughing with his friends over his triumph and enjoying a raise at work but you you often have to reimagine your enemies as far happier than they actually are and it's and it's the happiness that you imagine your enemies enjoying that's what really galls you it's the thought that your enemies are untouched by regret or remorse or the blindness of hatred that makes your own hatred even more intense there's something so unjust about your enemy's happiness it is difficult to hate someone who you believe to be miserable the hate has no point if you hate someone you want them to be miserable You hate someone you believe they're not miserable enough, which means that you probably haven't considered them miserable at all. So hatred is a sort of failure of the imagination. If you hate someone who's miserable, and you know that they're miserable, what do you want from them? It's hard to hate someone from whom you want nothing. Hatred is based on want. It's based on a sort of desire for the other person. And if fate has already fulfilled the misery that you're seeking out, it's it's hard to fantasize about what's real. You you don't fantasize about what's real. And revenge, I mean, revenge happens, of course, but most revenge, like 99% of all revenge, is entirely lived out in the mind. Revenge is 99% fantasy if not more, if you were to pile up all the revenge that's ever existed in the history of the world, almost none of it would be real. So, it's your belief in the life well lived of your enemies that charges your own misery. And this is what George Herbert figured out. George Herbert had to Observe his own hatred And figure out that it was unreasonable I have written on this before Probably Said something in the show about it Hatred is Not Always wrong But hatred of another human being Is always destructive to yourself. I don't say this as one who takes a sort of generic vision of love, love is all you need, and makes out as though all love is proper, all hatred is improper. That's not what I'm suggesting. But I say this from a purely phenomenological standpoint having observed people who hate, having observed the hate in my own heart, it never accomplishes anything good. And it is blinding. So you seek revenge through the embarrassment of another person, through harassment of another person, through insults, subtle snubs. But the point of revenge is the maligned feelings of the person that you despise. Now what's interesting about that, I don't think what you want when you want revenge is just physical pain. You, you don't want the other person merely to be in pain. And I think this is why most revenge fantasies are just about the embarrassment of another person. Like of, the, of the people that I have shamefully hated in my life, I did not. The, the idea that I would want for their physical suffering just strikes me as absurd. The hatred was sinful. It was wrong. It is wrong whenever I renew my hatred of certain people. But despite that, I'm not hoping for physical agony not hoping that the people I despise will break their legs that doesn't accomplish anything of what I want in my sinful hatred if the people I hate broke their if they got in a car accident and their legs were broken their own suffering would just inspire the love and compassion of everyone around them and that would gall me so it's not that I want and, you know, the harassment of other people or the insults of other people or the insults that I directed them to physically harm them. What you want when you want revenge is the bad feelings of another person. You want them to suffer in the mind. You want them to suffer the same thing that you suffered this sleeplessness. And man, that is it. Losing sleep is. The most remarkable criteria For for real anger and hatred That you can have I don't know if you've you've experienced this too Like somebody slights you During the day Someone says something that sets you off And you realize That you're going to have to work through it It's not like somebody says something I have students that Accidentally insult me all the time. <laughs> and you learn to live with the accidental insult. You learn to live with a child's disrespect. A teenage boy's disrespect. Not the end of the world. But there are some things that happen to you in the day. And the moment they happen to you in the day, you, you wonder is this going to be one of those things that keeps me up at night? And it almost seems like you don't really have a choice over it. It can feel that you don't have a, the decision is not yours to make. And that if something's going to keep you up at night, it's going to keep you up at night against your will. And you'll be lying in bed trying to get yourself to not think about something. And it can seem as though it's not even your own thoughts that keep presenting the slight against you. That it, There's a third party there that keeps bringing it up, that keeps roiling you over it. There's no guarantee, though, that in the act of revenge, in the insult, the snub, that you can get someone else to feel any particular way. And this is the really fascinating truth that Herbert's proverb revels in. That you can insult someone else, harass them, file false police reports on them, whatever you want. But if they're not upset about it, your revenge fails. Which means that as soon as you know that someone has something against you, if you refuse to be upset, you win. And there doesn't need to be anything pious about it. It doesn't need to be born out of a love of God. This is just a practical, common sense sort of realization that when you realize that someone hates you, If you can control your feelings to such an extent that you are untroubled by them. You will keep that person from getting what they want the most. Because what they want is not to insult you. When someone is taking revenge on you. When someone is attacking you. When they're harassing you. When they're insulting you. You don't harass and insult somebody for the sake of the harassment. You're trying to get this reaction from them. And if you refuse to give people the reactions that they want, it's enraging. If the will won't will, nothing can force it. You can harm somebody, you can degrade them, you can say all kinds of terrible things about them. But you won't get your revenge if they don't want you to have it. They can smile through it. And defy you, no matter how much power you have, no matter how clever you think you are. If the other person, if the person that you're seeking revenge against refuses to be troubled by anything that you do, you lose. So in this way, revenge is not a material thing. Revenge is not about like atoms bumping into each other. Revenge is spiritual warfare, I guess. That's really what you want? You want to go to war against somebody's spirit? If someone is yelling at you angrily and you tell that person in the midst of their yelling and screaming that you love them, go ballistic. Several years ago, I had an angry parent thundering at me. And I calmly told him that I loved him and his family. He stood up and started stomping around the room, throwing things on the ground. Now, I also want to say that sounds a bit boastful. <laughs> I also have to say this, though. You know those times in life... Where you're in an argument with someone and you are clearly in the right. And you cannot bring the other person around to understand their faults. You know how this goes. And they say something really foolish or stupid or they expose some weakness in their position and you don't realize what sort of weakness they expose themselves to until like 15 minutes after the conversation is over. And you're like, "Ow, oh, I should have said when he said this, I should have said that. And if I had said that when he said this, my triumph would have been complete. He would have been rendered mute if I could have just gotten that line in it, that one point in the argument. I could have won. Oh, he would have retreated from the room, brokenhearted. I don't want to go into it, but, but let me say this. Twice in my life, I'm 40 years old, twice in my life, I've actually thought of the thing that you wish you thought of later in the moment. That kind of just perfect thing That you wish you had thought of I've done it I've thought of that thing And I've said it Twice And both times I said it (laughs) Nothing happened (laughs) Nothing happened Both times I said it The person I said it to didn't get it. That's never part of the fantasy, right? When you fantasize, oh, when he said this, I should have said that. And if I said that, he would have been ashamed if he understood it. But what if he didn't understand it? What if you say the perfectly cutting thing and the other person misses it entirely, like just doesn't register? You did it, you outsmarted them You're so smarter than the person that you despise That they can't even appreciate your own cleverness You've got to start wishing that the other person was smarter than they are Which is a bizarre position to be in I wish you were better off (laughs) So I could make you worse best revenge is a life well lived because a life well lived is its own reward the best revenge is a life well lived and even if there's no revenge live your life well the life well lived doesn't (sighs) induce feelings of guilt which is often what revenge ultimately does. You take your revenge. Revenge is never satisfying. No one has ever been satisfied by revenge. I'm convinced of this. It's never enough. So you get you wait for your revenge, you get it, then it's unsatisfying. And your life can come to revolve around the person that you want revenge against. They dominate your thoughts. But then after you get your revenge, the other person wants their revenge too. And then the people that you hate never leave you alone. And you never leave them alone. A life well lived is pretty much the only thing that's gonna stop a cycle of revenge.